But we're going to be there in Jeremiah chapter 45. Jeremiah chapter 45. You see that's only five verses. We're going to do this whole chapter. Not to try to scare you, but we're going to do this whole chapter of chapter 45 of Jeremiah. But luckily it's only five verses. But Look at Jeremiah chapter 45. If you found it, look at verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spake unto Baruch the son of Neriah when he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying... Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Baruch, thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. See, Baruch, Baruch who Baruch is, Baruch is the, basically the writer of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah would speak these words. The Holy Ghost would come on and speak these words through Jeremiah. And as Jeremiah was speaking, the Bible says that Baruch would write those words down, and he'd pin them down. He was the scribe. Uh, a lot of these prophets are like that. The prophets didn't actually write it. The prophets would speak it, would speak by the Holy Ghost, and there's men that would write down what they were, what they were speaking. It'd be like somebody would be preaching, and you would write down what that preacher was preaching. That's what Baruch does. Well, Baruch is getting down in the mouth. It says there in verse 3, it says, Woe is me. The Lord said, I heard what you said. The Lord God says, I know what you said. You said, Woe is me now. For the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. And what Baruch was having to deal with was, is, this is Jeremiah's bad news. What Jeremiah is, is, is God's telling Israel, I'm going to destroy you. You won't repent. Your pastors are no good. Your preachers are no good. Your prophets are no good. Your people are no good. They come in and they say they, 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 say they love me, but their heart's not with me. They say it with their mouth. You know, so it's just bad, bad, bad. And, and then uh, God tells uh, Jeremiah... Through Jeremiah, I'm going to destroy every one of you. I'm going to run you off. This land's going to be destroyed. And it, in other words, it just gets worse and worse. You ever feel like there's days like that you have? You have those days where things just go from bad to worse? Amen. That's what's going on with Baruch. It, it was bad, and he's saying, now it's gotten worse. You've added grief to my sorrow. God heard him saying this. See? And I'm going to tell you something. Baruch might not have even said this with his mouth. Baruch might have been just thinking this. But see, when you're thanking it to God, you're saying it. Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. See, he's kind of blaming it on the Lord. Look at what the Lord's doing to me. The Lord's doing this to me. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. Says he's fainting. I fainted. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. Rest. The reason he don't find any rest is because he's fainting. He's falling away. He's kind of giving up. He's kind of looking at everything that's going on around him. He says things have gone from bad to worse, and now look at what's going on in my life. And I'm just kind of—he's kind of giving up. He's kind of blaming it on the Lord. He's kind of getting like—he's getting to where he's down in the mouth. He's kind of having a pity party. And the Bible has an answer to that. And then just keep your hand here, but I'll read you Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this. Because we all go through this. Every, every Christian's been through this. Everybody's been through this. But in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us how to deal with these things. How to deal with these things whenever you, you find that you're kind of down, down in the mouth. Things aren't going where you're fainting. You're kind of getting down. Things aren't going where it says there in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look into him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy, was it a joy to go to the cross? No. That's not the joy that the Bible's talking about there. The joy 
that was set before him endured the cross. It's the joy that was coming after the cross. See, Jesus knew if I can get to the cross and get on the other side of the cross, there's, a, there's some joy coming there. The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, he went through the cross so he could sit at the right hand of God. We're going to go through this life, and there's going to be some bad times. There's going to be some times where things go from bad to worse. But guys, in the end, it's sitting at the feet of Jesus. At the end, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we're supposed to be looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him, look at Jesus. Look, just look at Jesus. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against him, self, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The reason why you're fainting and falling away is because you're not looking to Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to say, Jesus, look, at, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus and everything's going to go okay. That's what we, we talk about that with Peter. Peter took his eyes off Jesus when he was walking on the water. He started sinking. He started fainting away. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. He endured all of this. He's going through all the problems. But if you look at Jesus, it worked out good in the end. And because he's the author and finisher of everything we have, we keep our eyes on Jesus and everything's going to be okay, and you won't be fainting away in your mind. And notice that Jesus Christ is, is, has done all of that. None of us is being crucified in here. None of us is being uh, carried away and being whipped and beat, not right now at least. Think about how much Jesus Christ endured, and he got it, the joy that was coming on the other end. So going back to Jeremiah chapter 45, I hope that, uh, the Bible helps us there with that fainting. We're going to look at something important, and it kind of all ties together. Because God's going to answer him. Because the, the question, the, the, the problem with Baruch was in verse 3 is, woe is he, he's saying out loud, or he's saying where God can hear him, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. He's complaining. This is the Lord's answer, verse 4. Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that which I have built will I break down, and that which I have planted I will pluck up, even this whole land. He says, first thing you need to know, Baruch, is I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Amen. I've said I'm going to destroy this land. I said I'm going to destroy everybody off this land. I said I'm going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. I'm going to tear down the walls. I'm going to tear down the temple. I'm going to have people come in and kill people right and left, and that's what I'm going to do. In other words, I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do. You've got to get that straight. Secondly, verse 5. And this is how God, God knows his heart. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. But thy life will I give unto thee, for I pray in all places whither thou goest. It's a great verse there in verse 5. First thing he said, what you're doing is you're trying to seek glory for yourself. You're trying to seek greatness for yourself. And you don't need to be seeking that. You don't need to be seeking that. Maybe Baruch was, 
in his mind thinking maybe Jeremiah and me and Jeremiah, can we can preach these people into repentance and God is going to change his mind and God's not going to destroy the land and we'll get the glory. I'm going to say, look at great job that Jeremiah did and Baruch did, straightening the people out for the glory of God. And maybe Baruch in the back of his mind said, I can really do something great and I can be really great in people's eyes. I can be a great preacher. I can be a great prophet. I can be a great scribe. And God says, I know what's in your heart. I know what's going on in your heart. You're seeking great things for yourself, for the self. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. Does the Lord bring evil upon all flesh? Yes, he does. You say, well, uh, what do you mean by that, Brother King? And I said, practically speaking, practically speaking, he does, everybody. Because everybody, 100%, is going to die. This flesh, not talking about spiritually, we're not talking about your soul, we're not talking about your soul going to heaven or hell, we're talking about, we're talking about fleshly, flesh. Does he bring 100% evil to flesh? Yes, he does, they all die, everybody dies, 100%. He's going to do what he's going to do, but there's something very amazing in this verse that just popped out to me in my, in my Bible reading that really struck a, a note with me. And in this morning as I come into this church and we're kind of lackadaisical and we're kind of just, we're here, we're just going through the motions. It speaks to me here. And it's, right, it's found right after this. I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. He says, I'll give you your life. I'm bringing evil all the stuff's happening in this world. I'm going to do all this to the land of Israel. I'm doing all this brute, but I'm going to give you your life. It's a gift. And the greatest blessing God gives us is life. Amen. And that's a one, we take advantage of that every single day. We wake up with the health to be able to get out of bed. We wake up with a breath of life. And we go about doing whatever we want to do, and we don't think about God, and we don't live it for God. And God says, I give that to you. Look, but thy life will I give unto thee, for I pray in all places whither thou goest. He said, you're going to get run off this land. You might, be, you might be run off into Syria. You might be run off into Assyria. You might be run, I don't know where you're going to be run off to, but wherever you go, you're going to still have your life. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kill a lot of people, but you're not one of them. I'm going to give you your life. See, that's a great blessing that he has, that God's given him. And this morning, I want to fo focus on that. I want to focus on that great gift that God's given us, a gift of life that we take advantage of. Now, he says there at the, uh, verse 5, he says, And seekest thou great things for thyself, seek them not. You're not supposed to be seeking great things for yourselves, brothers and sisters. You're supposed to be seeking great things for others. Let me show you that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn there with me if you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You're supposed to be seeking great things for others. Great things for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Guys, it's not about us. It's about others. Your life, you don't have a life to live. It's because you're living it for yourself. You're trying to seek great things for yourself. You should be seeking great things for others. Not good things, great things. God says, Baruch, your problem is you're seeking for great things and you're seeking it for yourself. Seek them not. Seek them not. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse um, 24. 
Look at verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. There it is right there. The guy's plain, plain, plain as day. Don't seek your own. Seek another's wealth. They don't, <laughs> just in case, so you don't translate that wrong or interpret that wrong, that don't mean go seek somebody else's money. I don't have money, so I'm going to go see. This isn't socialism. This isn't communism. This is called Christianity. It's called uh, you pick up your cross daily. You deny yourself. It's others. It's God, others, yourself. You're at the last of every list. On your, you should be the last person on every list. In your family, you're the last one to be took care of. In your church, you're the last one to think about. In every aspect of your life, you should be the last one on the list. It's others, others, others. You, you, it's God first, it's others second, and then yourself. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Okay, I want to make another man wealthy. The Bible says make another man wealthy. How do I make another man wealthy? Well, first and foremost, the way you make a man wealthy is by Giving them Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. First and foremost, salvation in Jesus Christ. That's how you make another man wealthy. You want to make another man wealthy, happy, and wise? You, make, you give them Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. It's Jesus Christ. Having Jesus Christ makes you the most wealthy person you can be. Now, the world doesn't believe that, but I don't give a, uh, a flip what the world thinks. I mean, they don't care what the world thinks. The world thinks a lot of stupid stuff. They don't get it. They're never going to get it. That Jesus Christ is what makes us wealthy. That was, that's what makes us happy. Uh, the greatest wealth a man can have, the greatest wealth a man can have is not a mansion, not a million-dollar mansion, not 400 acres of land, not, not the, the nicest car, not the nicest vehicles. The, wealth, the, the greatest wealth a man can have is a heavenly wealth is a heavenly inheritance. It's an inheritance that's given up in heaven that, you, that, that the thief can't get, that can't rust, that can't be stolen. That's a, health, that's a wealth that nobody can touch and nobody else can give you but God. It's a heavenly wealth. So we should be striving for another man's wealth. Do you know a man that's not wealthy? Sure, we know lots of men that aren't wealthy. Now, I know lots of men that are wealthy. Working for the city, I run into a lot. I tend to run into a lot of people that I call wealthy. You might, I mean, I call them wealthy. They got more than two cars. That's wealthy. They got a house that the, leak, the roof doesn't leak. That's pretty wealthy. But they're not wealthy spiritually. And there is a big difference. Big difference. That's what we're talking about here, guys. See, that's where we always get it wrong. You always think of the carnal side of things. We always think of the fleshly side of things. We never think of the spiritual side. Of we, we see the word wealth, and we automatically think of gold and money and a big bank account. We don't think that God's thinking about spiritual wealth, heavenly wealth, not worldly wealth. We're lucky to have Jesus Christ. We're lucky. We're lucky. If you don't want, the greatest wealth a man can have is a heavenly inheritance, and Heavenly wealth is not worldly wealth. God is going to destroy this world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above 
where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's the things you're supposed to be seeking, those things up in heaven. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Not on things on the earth. So this wealth that the Bible's talking about here, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth, it's not talking about physical wealth, like we think of. It's talking about spiritual wealth. And the greatest wealth you can give another man is spiritual wealth. And it all starts, begins, works through, and ends in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when you're thinking about another man, you say, well, how can I help this other man spiritually? So many times the world says, the way you help a man is give him a $20 bill. The way I think you help a man is give him a gospel track. Try to help him out spiritually. Because if I don't help you spiritually, you're never going to get off physically. Right. Because see what's going on with you physically. If you're not, if things are going wrong in your life, there's no physical thing I can help you with. There's nothing physical I can give you that's going to help you. I could give, if, if, if you, I, you know what I'm saying when I say this. I could give a man a mansion, and you give it to the wrong man, he'll have that thing destroyed in a year. You give a man $10,000, he'll spend it in a week. I was listening to a man talking about his wife, and he said his wife was up in Vegas, and she was uh, up in Vegas, and they won $18,000 up in Vegas. And he gave it to her, and he said, hold this money. Hold that money. They got through, they got through that afternoon, that evening, that late at night. They headed out. They stopped at one of the gas stations and said, hey, give me some money so I can fill up some gas. And she said, what money? He said, that $18,000 I gave you, I don't have it. She went and gambled it all away in one night. <laughs> is that a true story? It's as true as true can be. People are stupid. It's not, and I mean spiritually stupid. And you're gonna, you, the way you're going to help somebody is you're going to help them with their mind with Jesus Christ. If you can get them straightened out spiritually, everything else will fall into place. Because see, Eventually, I'm going to run out of money, and I'm not going to be able to help you out anymore. And that's happened with people I know. I've helped them out, I've helped them out, and I've helped them out. And my wife knows this. And, I've, and then one day, they show up at my house. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 and I'll tell them, I don't have any money. I'm broke. What am I supposed to do? I don't know, man. But you know what? I've, every time I've talked to them, I've talked to them, you need to get in church. You need to get right with Jesus Christ. You need to get right with the Lord. And you know what happens the time they knock on my door? They're not right with God. They haven't been in church and not living for Jesus Christ. I've never had anybody living for Jesus Christ knock on my door asking me for help. You know, it just not, it doesn't happen. Now, uh, you, some people are not going to understand what I'm preaching. But if you're right with Jesus Christ, you can be living in a shack where the roof leaks and, you, and, and have no floor and you'll be the happiest person you know. Amen. Jesus Christ makes all the difference. You can be dealing with cancer. You could be dealing with uh, financial problems, marital problems. But with Jesus Christ, he'll make you happy. He'll get you through it. Like nothing else. That's the wealth we're talking about. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to switch gears here. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to switch gears here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. You need to be seeking great things for others. Of course, the, way you, the greatest thing you can give them is Jesus Christ. The greatest wealth a man can have is Jesus Christ. 
So I want to show you something that Jesus Christ tells us about life. Because we're talking about this greatest gift. The great gift that God gives us of life. And he gave it to Baruch. He says, I give you your life. And we take that for granted. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or withal shall we be clothed? Worrying about what, what's going to happen in your life. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Don't you trust God's going to take care of you? Amen. Amen. I, he will. Verse 33. But seek ye first. Here's the thing. You know, because remember Baruch was seeking the wrong thing. He's seeking great things. Here's what Jesus Christ told him he needs to be seeking. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. Amen. See, when you seek God first, you'll be amazed how God will bless you. Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity message. What I'm preaching is, is a message of happiness and joy and peace and just a blessing. Christians that I know that are living out, Christians that I know that are living for God, they're not living out in the streets Amen. under a bridge. I'm not saying they have the best homes. I'm not saying they have the best cars, but they're took care of. God takes care of them. But they first seeked God first. And look, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's, what's God's righteousness? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, it's real simple. You'll be amazed what it is. The righteousness of God is Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's kind of funny how it all goes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't go about seeking your own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is Jesus Christ. That's in Romans chapter 10. Look it up. Read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. But the truth is, you need to be seeking that first. But that's not the point I brought you to these scriptures. The point here is found in verse 34. This is where I want to I hover around the rest of this morning. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the Mara shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What is life? You know, I meditated on that. What, what is life? I mean, people talk about life, life, life. But what, what is life? Life, in the simplest terms to me, life is just living a day. Just a day, one day at a time, is not living. Living is not, in the, that's a past. Yesterday was past. You're not living that. Tomorrow is future. You're not living that. Today. You're living today. Life is living a day. If there's anything I, 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 it came to my realization this last week is that God doesn't promise you tomorrow. We have a, a, I call him a young man, but I don't know how old this guy was, maybe in his mid-30s is what I'm guessing, but he got sick at work and went home. I, I, somebody called me up and said, hey, this guy's got a brain aneurysm. They took him up to Abilene. I said, what? Yeah, he's up in Abilene. And they said, don't look good. I said, I'll be praying for him. I started praying for him, got some other people praying for him. A couple of days later, I get the call. He passed away. God took him. You never know when God's going to pull your number. That guy worked right along with me, side by side, right along with me. A lot younger than, I think, in my mind, a lot younger than me. Looked healthy enough. 
but he wasn't promised tomorrow. And we're not promised tomorrow. But we've got today. We've got today. And that's what I was saying this morning. When I come, the, 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 we're kind of lackadaisical, kind of, eh, you, know, you know, it's just Sunday. It's just regular Sunday. We're up here again like we always are every Sunday. But yeah, well, you might not have next Sunday. You might not have tomorrow. And Jesus Christ is pointing out is, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take, take thought for the things of itself. Listen, guys, don't borrow the sunshine of tomorrow because the clouds might turn gray. Nobody promised you what tomorrow's going to be like. But I'm not, trying to be ne- I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or get, be negative to you or on you or make you think of negative thoughts. What I'm trying to do is encourage you and say, hey, tomorrow's going to come whatever happens, but today's today. We've got today. And, and that's what God pointed out to Baruch. Hey, I've given you life. You might be sorrowful. Things might be happening. Evil might be all around you, but you got life. And you got today. When you try to live in tomorrow, which a lot of people do, when you try to live in tomorrow, you're living in a dream. You're not living life. People dream and dream and dream. I have a dream and they dream and dream. They never stop to live today. Things will be better tomorrow. Things will be, no, why don't you just, don't worry about tomorrow. Live today. Take today as the most precious thing you've got. It's life. And God's given it to you. Life is what you do in a day, not what you do in a tomorrow. Life is what you do in a day. That's living life. And what do we do today? I know we did this at church before church started. What did we do today? We all, all, a lot of men got around what we do. We talked about what we did yesterday. Because we were living yesterday. So many people, and we do that. We talk about yesterday. But what about today? What are we doing today? This is, life is today. We have life. We should be joyful. We should be happy. We should be celebrating. We should be worshiping God. We should be, have peace and joy because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We might not have tomorrow. But we got the greatest gift, which is life. And I know a young man that don't have it anymore. And his family's broken hearted. But you've still got today. Live today like there is no tomorrow. And you'll live a wonderful life. That's simple, isn't it? Day by day. But how many of us don't do it? How many of us wake up and say, well, tomorrow I've got this plan and the next day. And that's okay. We should plan things. But guys, don't forget, today's today. What are you going to do today? How are you going to enjoy today? What are you going to do today to worship God? What are you going to do today to sing praises to God? What are you going to do? You've got the best salvation going. You've got eternal life. Man, we got today. And I, I want to encourage you by turn, turn to uh, Luke chapter 9. I'm going to finish off by showing you something in Luke chapter 9. And this is I want to encourage you. Because I, I, I know what's going on, man, and it, it's, it's, so, it's so obvious once you start looking at how, what God says about it. What's going on, it, there's a problem. <laughs> and I have it, and a lot of other people have it. It's a major problem. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Luke 9, chapter, chapter, chapter 9, verse 46. 
remember, I want to point out that God said, Seekest thou, and back in Jeremiah 45, 5, he said, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. Wherever you go, Baruch, you're going to have your life. That should be enough. And that's a gift. And stop seeking great things. And then verse 46 comes along here in Luke chapter 9. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? I'm the greatest. Who, no, you're the greatest. No, Peter's the greatest. Who was called first? He's the greatest. Verse 47, and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, look what he does. Took a child and set him by him. And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Amen. It's a child. <laughs> it's so simple, it's childlike. You need to live life like a child lives life. What's amazing about verse 48 to me is that the Lord Jesus Christ equates himself to a child. Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. Amen. You know, we're, we're told, we're warned, we're told you've got to, receive, uh, you've got to receive the kingdom like a child receives things, by faith. A child doesn't worry about bills. A child doesn't worry about where the food's coming from. A child doesn't worry about things like that. A child, a child just trusts his father is taking care of things like that. We need to live life like a child. Our greatest blessing from God is life, but the greatest way to live life is live it like a child. Stop being like an old fuddy-duddy. See, old age, old age is a curse of sin. See, we, we, we get old because of sin. We're getting older and aging because of sin. That's not God's intention. God's intention where we were, we were to stay childlike for eternity. Have a child's heart. And be childlike and be, have a child's heart. And somewhere, somewhere along the way, sin crept into our heart. We, became, we, we got the knowledge of sin and good and evil. And we started sinning. And then here goes this and here goes that. And here you go. You're 40, 50, 60, 70 years long in life. And life's no fun anymore. It's just a drudgery. It's just, you're wore out. You're tired. You're this. You're that. And you don't have a child's heart anymore. And Jesus Christ says, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. Jesus Christ had the heart of a child. Innocency. Innocency. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Amen. Amen. We know that verse. That's 2 Peter 3, 8. The Lord, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Do you know that for a child, a day is like a thousand years? I keep stressing to you, live today, live today, live today, enjoy today. And to a child, a day is a thousand years. Talk to a child after Christmas. Hey, what, what do you want for next Christmas? They'll think that's a decade away. And y'all old people know what I'm about to say. The older you get, time flies. 
It seemed like it was just Christmas just last year, and all of a sudden it was Thanksgiving, and it's like, wow, where did it all go? To a child, a day is a thousand years. I'll give you an example. Child gets up. Now I'm gonna talk, this is my childhood. Child gets up, goes outside, starts slaying dragons. Slays two or three dragons, then decides he's going to start fighting some knights. Starts fighting some knights, then... Got to take care of the Indians. Go out there. Got to take care of some Indians. Indians are trying to raid the camp. Pow, pow, pow. Shoot the Indians. And then got to pick up the machine gun. The Nazis are trying to storm the camp. Let's go over there. Let's get up in that tree. The Nazis are coming. Let's shoot the Nazis. Get that machine gun. Shoot the Nazis. And then let's go sail the seven seas. We're going to sail the seven seas. And we're going to be a pirate. We're going to seek for some treasure. And then we're going to do some sword fighting. And then let's traipse down there to the pond and go looking for some frogs. And then, let's go fishing for some crawdad. And then, let's just do some regular fishing. And then, let's go do some exploring. And then, Mama calls you and it's lunchtime. I used to live a thousand lives in a thousand years, and it wasn't even lunchtime. Because I had a childlike heart. I'm trying to say is, God has a childlike heart. Chesterton said it best, and I, I mean, it's amazing when I read this. It really just blew me away. He said, the thing I mean to see is that in children, when they find some game or joke they, or, that they especially enjoy, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. You seen children doing that? Y'all don't do that anymore, right? Just sit there and just... Move your leg, move your leg, move your leg. Just kick it, kick it, just like this, like this. He's saying that they, a, cat, a, cat, a kid does that not because of absence of life, but because of life. Because children have a bounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. Y'all know grandkids like that? Y'all know kids like that? It's the same movie. They, it's like you, they find that one movie, show it again, show it again, show it again. You do something for a kid, throw me up again, throw me up again, throw me up again. And the grown-up the grown person does it again and again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning to the sun, do it again. And to the moon, do it again. See, where a child can find the joy and the grace and the simplest of things and then really enjoy them, we as old people, we're rushing forward to tomorrow. We're not enjoying today. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy. We have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Guys, I can't stress to you enough to look at today as just a day to live and to live that day with a childlike faith in Jesus Christ. You remember when you believed in Jesus Christ no matter what? 
Will you put all your faith in Jesus Christ and the wonderment and the amazement of God? You remember how the wonderment and amazement of trying to search through these scriptures for the first time? When you wanted to read Revelation for the first time, when you wanted to find out what God had for you, and you wanted to read and you didn't know, and we've lost that excitement, that enjoyment, that do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I know who came and stole it away. His name's the devil. Satan's good at that. Satan's good at stealing away our amazement and wonderment at God. And he does it through science and philosophy and humanism. Oh, that's how Satan loves to work. Prove it. Where a child will say, I believe it. Satan says, prove it. Show me. Show it to me. So Satan through man has come up with all these theories to do away with God. And when you do away with God, you do away with wonderment. You do away with amazement. When you do away with God, you do away with the spiritual, you do away with things you can't see, and they don't want to see them. But as Christians, we get together and we worship this morning, and we're praising somebody that none of us has seen. I've talked about Jesus over and over again. I've mentioned Jesus Christ. I've talked about Jesus Christ. I've never seen Jesus Christ. But like a little child, I believe. I've never seen heaven. How do you know heaven exists? I believe. I believe. I have that childlike faith. Like my father has a childlike heart. I'm just going to believe. You don't have to show it to me. I believe. God says, I mean Satan says, prove it. Prove it. They never get it. It's amazing to me, I watch these shows and they'll talk about the salmon or the fish and I think it's salmon and they, they get hatched and they go out into the ocean where they go and then here they come, they come back and they've never been, these fish have never been in, and they, these fish have never been here but they know how to get back up and they know how to get back up and they know to lay the eggs back there again and they go back down the stream and they talk about birds that have never been hatched on this island. These birds know to migrate and they migrate all the way over to this other island and, and they don't, of course they don't believe in God. So they'll say stuff like, it's magical to see the birds migrate. And they don't understand if you're going to have something magical, you've got to have a magician. If you're going to have miracles, you've got to have a miracle maker. If you're going to have laws of the universe, and every one of them said there's laws of the universe, if you're going to have laws of the universe, you must have a lawmaker. God. A little child says, God? And Satan says, oh, there's no God. Prove it to me, prove it to me. I'm telling you, live today because God's given it to you. Praise the Lord. He's given you another day. Praise the Lord. Here we are, another day. Let's live it with a childlike heart. Jesus Christ said, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. The little children. You want to feel young again? Get around some children. That's why your grandparents love your grandkids so much. Those children, they love seeing them run around, have all that energy. And I know I've heard all of you, I've said it too. I wish I had that energy. You can have that heart. 
And the only thing that makes you old is your mind. Your old, sinful, decrepit mind. Sin has crept in and took away your childlike innocence. Jesus Christ can take that and wipe it away and give it, make it new. And I thank Jesus Christ for that. <laughs> you believe he can do that? Just like I believe in heaven, just like I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe he can work in a man's life if he asks. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the results of it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to present to you this Jesus Christ. This Jesus Christ, he died for your sins. He was born of a virgin. He walked among men. He died for your sins. He was buried, and on the third day he rose up. If you believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the Bible says if you believe that Jesus Christ can save you and wash you of your sins, you can cry out to him in faith like a child, childlike faith. God, I know you can hear me. I don't see you, Lord Jesus. I know you can hear me. Will you save me? Please save me in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray if you'll pray a prayer like that, he will save you. And I'm telling you what, he can give you a childlike heart and he might only give you a few more days to live. I don't know how many days you have to live, but every day will be like a thousand years when you live it in Jesus Christ. When you live it in Jesus Christ, every day is like a thousand years. It's been for me and I hope it's been for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Father would be an amazing and wonderful creator of this universe, Lord. Father, I really believe that you raise that sun up, Lord God, and you say, do it again, do it again. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your childlike heart, your forgiving, your holiness, Lord God, your purity. Lord, I see all this in little children, Lord God, and I thank of you. And I thank you, Lord God, that you took care of me when I was a little child and didn't have a, I didn't have a dad, Lord God. You came in and took care of me. Didn't let me get run over, Lord God. Didn't let me get killed. Father, I just thank you for being, always being there for me. And Lord, I, I need a heart like you have. Father, I've let this world come in and take away my joy, take away my wonderment, take away my amazement at you, Lord God. And I've got to where I look at the world, Lord God, and I stop looking at you. Father, I just want to daydream about you, Lord. I want to meditate on you, Father. I want to meditate on heaven, Lord God. I want to think about heaven. I want to dream about heaven, Lord God. I want to stop dreaming about this world. Lord, help me live today like you'd want me to live it, Lord God. Help me, help me have a childlike heart, Lord God. Help me to, to, to try to do something for others, Lord God, to give them the wealth of Jesus Christ, Lord. Give me a heart, Lord God, like you have. And Father, there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, I just pray, Lord, when we give this invitation, they'll come on down the aisle and they'll get saved, Lord God. Father, thank you for children. Lord, thank you for your words, Lord God. And above all else, Lord God, thank you for this gift of life. And thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm praying all this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have an invitation, brother. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you, and until next time. Casting all your care upon Him.